Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Right, let's uh, let's jump right into the questions. No time to waste, no ranting, no advertising. I'm not going to give you any shout outs. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. However, if you do love this show, go leave us a five-star rating review and make sure you share this on your Instagram story so I can share it too and I can thank you. Um, so I lied. I am going to give you that. But we're going to dive right into these questions. The first three actually come from the same person because she starts with, I've got three questions for you. And this is from Carmen Spitzer from the private Facebook forum, which by the way, guys, I'm leaving it open for you because if you are a listener of this podcast, I do appreciate you quite a bit. And I want you to be in the group. I want you to be in the community. I want you to join the culture and I want to answer more of your personal questions. So the best way for you to do that and get access to more of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, education, content, so on and so forth, is to head over to b.b p forum private forum on facebook um, i have a lot of people who try to access the private facebook group and they end up trying to add themselves into the boom boom elite so i've declined some of those people um, the reason for that is because that is a private group specifically for paying members of our coaching and or the training membership site which that is also linked in the show notes so if you want the best goddamn programs on the internet um, in my opinion of course backed by science <laughs> um you can head over there. That's where you get way more access to myself, the Q&As, the exclusive content, questions, assessing, so on and so forth, programming. Uh, but the Boom Boom Performance Private Forum is actually BBP Private Forum, and I'm going to link that one first. So it'll say you can join the Facebook group here. That's the link you click in the description. Head over there. Add yourself to the group if you like this podcast. It's a positive place where I can answer more of your questions. Now, these three questions come from somebody in there. First question is, how do you measure success in a lean bulk besides progress in the gym, of course, especially if the person is afraid of gaining weight? This is a good question. Um, number one is obviously, like you said, it's going to be progressive overload. I think anytime you are really serious about gaining, you should be watching progressive overload in some way, shape, or form. I don't think that just means you should be following a, a boring linear approach. However, I do think that's important to see trends not just like I, I see a lot of people who want to get big and they are tracking their one or three rep max, which I think is good. You should be gaining in those. But I actually think it's great to be tracking like a 5RM, 6RM, 7RM, 8RM, even 10RMs and 12RMs. Like if you can gain strength in those higher ranges of, of reps, I think you're going to be more likely to see a direct correlation of linear progression strength and actual muscle tissue being grown. So first and foremost, obviously have some compound lifts um, and some metric-based lifts mainly. It doesn't mean it has to be just bench squat deadlift, but maybe you want to make sure that your dumbbell military press, which is a really good one for me, like a seated dumbbell military press, a uh, chin-up, a pull-up, a lat pull-down, a seated row, one-arm row, dumbbell bench press, uh, those are some of my favorites to track 
progress with, but like keeping those as staples. Like for me, dumbbell military press, dumbbell bench press, and like a uh, a pull down and some kind of row. So like a barbell row, pendulum row, seal row, chest support row, one arm dumbbell row, seated cable row. Using some kind of machine equipment or modality and just repeating that every week and trying to progress in that six to eight rep range is really, really important. Um, other ways of doing that is obviously measuring. So with our clients, we have them measure different sites of their body. So we're going to measure quads, hamstrings area. So you, you measure your thighs. You're going to measure three points around your waist and hips. We're going to measure your arms. We're going to measure your delts. We're going to measure your chest slash lats. Um, we are going to measure things like that. Like those are going to be glutes if you're interested in growing glutes. Um, but those are going to be key indicators too, because if we can see even like, like, so I, uh, we, I just went over this with a female client of mine. One of her goals was to build her, uh, glutes and it was like, it's been months now, but like a few months and it was like a half inch on her glutes, but her navel below navel, above navel. So all around her belly button, waist, hip area no growth at all. So we know that if her stomach is not growing and her glutes are growing, guess what? She's building glute muscle and good because we're adding a lot of volume there and we're increasing calories. So it makes sense, right? So definitely take measurements because I think that's really important. Um, visual progress is huge. So taking with lean gaining, it really doesn't need to be weekly. I think biweekly is fine. Um, but for accountability purposes, for regimen purposes, I tend to like weekly. Um, when you can. So like I typically take anywhere between two to four progress pictures a month for myself right now during this uh, reverse diet to make sure I'm staying lean uh, while we increase calories. And that always helps best because if you don't have progress pictures, it's hard to adjust nutrients and the scale doesn't tell you everything. So if somebody's getting frustrated because they gained two pounds and it's been three weeks and they're freaking out and I haven't seen a progress picture, I'm not adjusting anything. I want to see a progress picture and possibly some measurements because oftentimes when we increase calories, we have more food in our stomach literally going to weigh down the scale. More food means more water. Water weighs down the scale. More carbs mean more water because one gram of carb holds three to four grams of water. And then last but not least, people don't think about this, but sodium is inside food. It's inside processed food. It's inside natural food and it's added to food. So if we add food, we are indirectly going to add sodium as well, most likely, even through like condiments. Like if you have more food, you probably have more condiments. Condiments have sodium. Like the more sodium you have, the more water you're pulling in there. So we have regular food pulling in water. We have carbohydrates pulling in water. We have sodium pulling in water. And on top of that water, we just have more food bulk in our body. We are literally going to weigh down the scale. So somebody's reverse dieting. They're tighter, leaner, and more muscular. However, they weigh three pounds more and they're freaking out. You don't need to freak out. It's probably water weight and food. And then we look at a visual picture and measurements were like, you look great. So now we see that you're progressing in the gym, progressive overload linearly. We see that your visual pictures look totally fine, if not better. And we see that your measurements haven't increased in any bad areas. If they have increased, it's around muscle that is probably pulling in more water, which is a good thing because muscle glycogen is practically all carbs and water. We're perfect, right? So like, I really do think those are the three biggest things. Like, And keeping it simple. Don't worry about DEXAs and embodies and things that are usually pretty inaccurate. DEXA is probably going to be the gold standard. I mean, unless you're getting an ultrasound, which is very unlikely. But those are going to be the gold standard. That's going to be the gold standard. So if you can do that every six months or so, great. If not, don't worry about it. But long story short, I mean, we're going to be able to get measurements, progressive overload in the gym, and uh, pictures are going to be the three biggest ones. Then weight. And weight should be a very slow uh progression. So for you're a female that asks this question. So for a female, if you gained a pound a month, that's a lot. 
right? A quarter pound a week, even for an advanced lifter, one pound a month is a lot, right? So half a pound is fine too. So it's very, very slow progress for, for natural lifters on a weekly basis that we're looking for as far as progress in weight. Um, and then like, I think the big thing there is if you're afraid of gaining weight, you need to have an education around what weight actually is inside your body and the different forms and different things that can create a weight increase in your body. And that will kind of ease your mind. Number two, you recently said that you prefer building muscle and strength at maintenance calories. If, is this possible for everyone? Can you do something like a pro and con of trying to gain muscle and strength at maintenance versus calories versus at a small surplus? I, I don't, I think it is possible for everybody. However, the more advanced you get, the slower that rate is and the less likely it is and the more likely it is that you need to be in a surplus. So I like bringing people to maintenance in building if – actually, you know, I, I kind of take that back because I think it is less like it, – it's slower for sure if you're advanced. However, if you're a newbie, I almost want to put you in a surplus because you're going to be able to handle those calories so much more. So if you're brand new to lifting, I think that it's there's an advantage to being in a small surplus because you're going to utilize those calories better and you're going to milk out more gains from that. If you are an intermediate to advanced, you might want to start at maintenance if you want to stay lean, if you want to stay lean and do that, I think the best thing to do is to stay at maintenance at first and then optimize as many little things within that maintenance calories as you can. So things would be getting eight hours of sleep, managing stress, being OCD about progressive overload in your periodization. So making sure your training program is just flawless. Um, supplementation being better. So making sure digestive, like you're taking digestive supplements to make that better. You're taking creatine, you're taking caffeine at the proper uh times you're maybe you're even doing some intra-workout carbs and essential amino acids like you're doing every little one percent thing within the maintenance calories that you can in order to stimulate more growth and you can do this it's just slower so the thing is is you might gain slower however you're not going to gain fat in the process therefore having to come back and do a new bulk the the caveat here is this for some people that slow progress is worse because it just feels like you never have like a serious goal so for some people i would actually rather put you in a surplus, allow a little fat accumulation, and then pull back because it's motivating for them to have mini goals. Um, there's also the quote-unquote hard gainer who we could say it's not true. We could say it is true. I think there's a lot of people who think they're hard gainers that aren't. They just haven't optimized their training and nutrition. Um, but there are some people that just have stubborn bodies. And if you put them at maintenance and try to gain, it's not going to happen because – and if it does, it's at such a slow pace that you can't track it. Um, because they're, they have a highly adaptive metabolism. And in those scenarios, you do have to put them in a surplus. And I think the problem there is it's not that it's not happening, but it's happening so slow that it's very hard to track if progress is occurring. So I do think there's merit to bumping up above maintenance for most people simply because you can at least track progress. Sometimes doing it at maintenance will take so fucking long. Like, yeah, you stay lean, but it'll take so long that it's daunting for people and not motivating at all because you don't see any progress. Um, so there is a case to go into small surplus. But can you gain muscle out of maintenance? I believe so. There, There's not much research on it. And they're actually – I know of like two or three studies right now that they are conducting on this, which means they won't be out for a while. But the good thing is is that the authors are heavily involved in content and they kind of share their thoughts on it. And I think it's possible. Um, you know, And I've heard Eric Helms talk about it a couple times. I can't speak for him, but I believe he is of the fan of, of going very slow and, and that you can do this. But I, again, I think it comes down to if you have the patience to gain that slow, it's great. 
and you can stay lean while doing it. I think it's advantageous for women because I think women have a more of a fear of, of gaining weight or getting big too quick, um, which isn't really going to happen for anybody naturally anyway. But if they eat at maintenance, optimize everything else, they would be okay with a, a snail's pace muscle growth. Um, and you can just kind of shift their gears to performance and be like, hey, let's focus on performance for the short-term goals and we'll just watch slow gains. Like perfect plan for somebody to be diet to a lean physique that they feel good mentally, physically, and physiologically and then stay there at that leanness while doing a very, very slow gain um, at maintenance. I think that's a perfect plan. Uh, but you said, can you do something like a pro and con? I mean, I guess the, the pros would be not gaining fat. The pros would be um, – not going into a surplus because sometimes a surplus isn't the healthiest thing depending on how big of a surplus you go into. Um, and the big, I mean, the biggest pro is like you, you can stay lean and, and that you don't have to cut later on. You know, it's it's kind of like staying lean year round. For most people, that's a goal. The con is that sometimes it's hard to measure progress because it's so slow. Um, and I would say that it can be demotivating because you don't have these short-term bumps in progress or metrics that you can see increasing right away. Third question she had, I've got a client with sciatica pain. Can I somehow help her with not being a doctor? I want to lower her stress level because I think it's somehow stress induced, but is there something physically she can do some stretches, some exercises, or even some supplements? So this one's hard simply because I'm not there. So I really can't give you too much information because I can't diagnose you over a podcast. I can't, especially because I'm not even diagnosing you. I'm diagnosing your client. However, do I think you can help her? Absolutely. I think number one, uh, work on lowering inflammation. So work on lowering stress throughout her day. Work on maybe removing possible inflammatory foods if she is consuming a lot of them. Um, this is where like, you know, like the argument against processed sugar, for example. I know people for a fact that have had reductions in arthritis aka their inflammation lowered inside their joints from reducing processed sugar. Is processed sugar bad for you, going to kill you, going to make you fat? No. But this is where like special scenarios, it might be advantageous to lower the intake of it or take it out, right? Alcohol is the same way. Um, so maybe looking at some of those things. Um, physically, like stretches, it's hard for me to say because it could be a number of things. Like first of all, is it is she was she diagnosed with a sciatic issue or is it just in that general region like hey her low back hurts right that could be a number of things if it is like well shit stretch her ql stretch her hip flexor stretch her paraformoris stretch her glute stretch her lat could be a lot of different things um, if it's a mobility issue like if you have low back issues because even if it's a traumatic issue so if we look at so for example traumatic just means sudden or uh, direct pain right influence pain which means you don't have to get in a car accident or have a life or death scenario for it to be traumatic, right? Traumatic just means that something happened, there's pain. You did a deadlift, pain. Um, why did that traumatic injury happen? Or if it was uh, a chronic injury, which is uh, accumulated over time from deadlifting a bunch over time, what caused that issue? Is it thoracic mobility? Is it hip mobility? Is it ankle mobility? Is it knee stability? Is it weak glutes? Is it weak core? So now you kind of like my whole point here is I can't tell you what to do because all the stretches, all the movement, all the things that would diagnose this are dependent on what the root cause is. So you need to assess that with her. If you don't feel comfortable assessing that with her, you need to find a PT in your local area that will. I've referred people out to PTs all the time, especially in the online world. Like I have a lot of information that I can help people with, but if I can't pinpoint it by seeing them do some movement patterns on a video 
and talking them through it, I'm like, hey, like, where's the nearest PT? What area are you in? Maybe I can recommend one that I know about there. Um, that's always going to be the best thing. And having a referral network is super powerful as a coach. Um, so I pride myself in knowing a lot of PTs around the country, Kairos, um, different people like that. Like, and I think that's huge. Uh, but I would also recommend like things. So like just off the top of my head, the best like tactical things I can give you is number one, the Stuart McGill big three. I think is very powerful. Not enough people use that. But the Mc, McGill, Stuart McGill is like known for just being the low back guy. And McGill Big Three is something I use every week and something I use with a lot of clients. It's, it's very, very helpful in ensuring that you can avoid uh, low back pain. And one of the biggest things is, yes, it's core stability, it's balance, it's working on coordination, um, nervous system, so on and so forth. But it's also working on trunk stiffness. And I think that's one of his big uh, core fundamental things that allows people to avoid further low back issues. So if you're going to incorporate movement patterns and exercises to improve low back issues, for most people listening, you're going to want to work with some kind of stability in, in what we call trunk stiffness. So your trunk is your torso, right? You're basically your collarbone to your waist. Trunk stiffness would be things like tall kneeling pull-off press, um, side plank. So we're doing a lot of anti-rotation here. Um, different carry variations, breathing, bird dogs, uh, the, the McGill curl up. Um, so you're doing different things that creates ultimately stiffness and tension and stability inside your core. Amanda Castellano. Castellano. When implementing regular diet breaks during a fat loss phase, what is the best way to periodize training during that week? Should training remain constant, including cardio? Take out cardio, but push hard with training since you have extra calories or use it as a deload week. Thanks. I personally tip, I, I don't like to do both. Like I, I think when you implement regular diet breaks, they need to be set at intervals most of the time. So if you're, if you're implementing them every seven days, every 10 days, every 14 days, every 21 days, I don't think you should change your training or change your deload periods based on that. Training should be set in stone. I don't think it should change. Um, if you're taking a diet break, you're having more calories, that's going to provide recovery. I don't think you need to drop cardio, don't need to drop anything. Um, I also don't think you should add calories and deload unless you're really, really hurting. If you're super burnt out, which at that point, you should probably just increase calories, period, and it shouldn't even be a diet break. Um, and if you're super deep in a deficit, you really don't need many deloads because most of your training is deloaded in general because your intensity drops, um, especially if you're trying to keep adequate volume in order to maintain muscle mass. But like I usually keep them separate. So most people, I usually get the feel for them after a while and I know that every fourth week or fifth week or sixth week has to be a deload. And I usually keep it between every four to six weeks. For some people, it's that fourth week. They're just ready. For some people, we can push it out to six weeks. So it kind of depends and those just stay put. If their diet break falls on that period of time, so be it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I usually don't tweak cardio on either one of those scenarios, especially not just diet breaks, but like if it's a deload week, I will lower intensity. So if they have a lot of high intensity intervals, I might increase neat or low intensity cardio to replace the high intensity cardio on a deload week for sure, because I'm trying to recover their nervous system a little bit better. And we know high intensity intervals are going to do a little bit more damage than low intensity would. Um, but as far as diet breaks, I kind of look at them as two separate things. If they end up crossing each other over, that's fine. It's not a, a bad thing, but I don't purposely try to plan them accordingly to be on the same time. Um, but I do think cardio and everything should remain static when 
you doing a die break. The die break is, and this also allows you to, when you change multiple things at once, you don't know what's working. So for some clients, they respond really well to deloads. For some clients, they respond really well to die breaks. I want to see how you respond. So if somebody takes a die break and a deload and they gain weight, why is that? Are we on a muscle gain phase? Or I guess you wouldn't be doing a die break if you're on a muscle gain phase. Are you kind of reaping the benefits from being on a deload where a lot of people will see like a super compensation effect where they actually gain a little bit of muscle tissue because their body's actually able to recover it and replenish it? Um, or are you gaining weight from the carbs on a diet break? Um, I want like – and the other side of this too is like do you feel really great because of the deload or do you feel really great because of the diet break? Because if you're 12 to 16 weeks into a diet and we still have more time to go, we need to optimize recovery – I want to know what gives you the best bang for your buck. If I know that you respond really well to deloads, I'm going to give you a deload instead of the diet break so you can recover, feel better, and we can keep you on a deficit for longer. However, if deloads fuck with you mentally, they don't really give you that much benefit, but a diet break does wonders. I'm going to give you a three or four day diet break. You're going to feel amazing. It's going to do more than the deload could have. So I, it's the same thing with like adjusting very rarely unless I have like a dead timeline I'm not going to adjust too many things at once I'm not going to say hey like we're going to change the amount of meals you're eating per day I want you to add this supplement we're going to drop calories by this much and add cardio right that's way too many things when when one of them works we don't know which one it was because we added six things at once I'm this I'm that way unless it's like we have a deadline and it's very specific I'm gonna, I might add two or three things at once in rare cases but I like keeping things separate so you can actually kind of analyze what's going on and see what's working. Martin H. Foster. Marty Moore. I haven't done that in a minute, man. This guy has been – I appreciate you, Martin. Um, two things about Martin. Uh, is it your Instagram that's Marty Moore? Something. But we used to always go – me and Thea way back, we used to be like, Marty Moore. Every time he asked a question, and he asked really good questions, and he's been listening for a long time, and I have a testimonial on my website, a crazy before and after of this guy, and he got the transformation simply from listening to the podcast and reading the Nutrition Hierarchy, which is a free ebook, which you can grab in the description, which fired me up because he used free content to transform his body, which is the coolest fucking thing ever, um, but he asked good questions, and sometimes they're funny, and this one's kind of funny. Is there any evidence behind the whole no sex for peak performance myth? We said it right there. It's a myth. I remember always hearing about boxers abstaining from sex before a big fight. Made them feel like they'd come in at full strength. I suppose the belief was you lose a bit, a little bit when you get a little bit. <laughs> I tried to phrase this question as cleanly as possible for those who potentially be offended. Um, I, I don't think you said it in an offensive way, so I appreciate that because um, I'm the one reading it. So I, I get the backlash, not you. <laughs> but um, I think it is a myth. So they are actually uh, – they have done studies on this, and I, I haven't read the studies in a while. But I remember this being a thing too. And I remember it was – it's kind of like bro science for boxers essentially. Now, there is no research to prove that sex before a competition – so they've done studies mainly on endurance athletes, so runners and people doing races. There's no research to show that that improves anything. Um, they saw there was the, basically they had equal studies. One study showed people improved performance by holding off and some showed, uh, improved performance by having sex the night before. So you could argue like, oh, you have that tension built up and, and you, you perform better. Um, or maybe 
you relax too much after that and you perform worse. And then the opposite is like, oh, you have a low stress night, you get better sleep, you can perform better in the morning because we have st equal studies to prove both ways, which basically cancels each other out and it just shows us that it's completely random um, and them performing well or poorly probably had literally nothing to do with sex. Um, however, there is research to show, I believe it's poor if you have sex right before. So they don't re recommend you having sex right before a race, which makes sense. Um, I assume for most people after sex, you're probably a little bit more relaxed and you're probably a little bit lower stress, probably a little bit more chill, probably a little bit more in the parasympathetic nervous system mode, like calm down. Probably not going to do very well in an athletic endeavor. So um, there is evidence to prove both are correct, which in my mind cancels it out. Um, but that's regarding the night before. There is actual research that shows sex before is probably not a good thing. So you don't want to do anything right, anything sexual really, right before a competition, a meet, a fight, anything like that. Jacqueline Flint. If my compound lifts are very challenging at a particular weight, should I stay at that weight next week or continue adding weight? I always look at this like – this is a really good question. If you – it depends on what you're going for that week. What week is it? So like if you have a four-week program and it's week three, I'm like add weight because next week's probably going to be a deload, right? Um, so I like using the RIR system uh, for myself on a weekly basis. So if I know – I take for me, I take a deload every fifth week. So week one on my compounds, RIR might be like two or three. So I'll leave two to three reps in the tank. Week two is going to be like two reps in the tank. Week three is going to be one to two reps. Week four, I'm leaving zero to one, meaning I'm going all out, right? And then week four is it, or week five is a deload. So if you ask me this question and it's your last week before a deload, I'm going to say add weight. Um, if it is week one or two, I'm going to say, hey, keep the weight, focus on form, leave a couple in the tank, add next week. Um, because you have to remember that you have to be able to progress. So you got to look at it from like, okay, if I add now, can I progress next week? Which granted in some ways we could argue as well as like, well, why not do it while we guarantee? Because today I feel fucking great. So put it on, complete the weight. And then next week, don't worry about it so much, right? If you can add weight again, great. You might actually surprise yourself, which actually does happen. Or you do the same way you did this week, but it's still up compared to last week. So if we look at the two weeks and combine, it's actually more volume because you did more both days, both weeks, instead of waiting and only doing more one week, which I think has a lot of merit to it because I think a lot of people uh, put too much value into percentages and long-term periodization, which is good, but we just don't know what's going to happen next session. We don't know if we're going to feel like shit. We don't know if we're going to miss the session. We don't know if our stress is going to be high. So to me, a lot of times, if you feel good, I think you should go after it. Um, so you can kind of go both ways. If you know you're a very routine individual and there's nothing stopping you from training next week and your sleep and your routine's perfect, then maybe wait. It also depends on what week you are in the program and then also depends on form. Like you said, if my compound lifts are challenging at a particular weight, should I stay at that weight next week or continue adding weight? If you go into the gym next week and you – I always say like, okay, like for easy math, you hit 200 pounds for five reps this week. You go into the gym. Make sure you hit a working set at 200 pounds for five reps while still having a set or two left. Meaning if you're doing four sets, you're doing 200 by your first working set. That way you can hit 200, you can hit 200 again, and then you can assess yourself then. I have two more sets, I feel fucking great, my form is good. It's challenging, but my form is good, cool. Add five pounds, now hit 205 for two more sets, right? Um, or if this week you did set one, 185, set two, 195, 
set three and 195, and then you hit your fourth set 200. If you hit all four working sets at 200 next week, just move up in the warm-ups a little bit faster, well, now you've done more volume because you've hit 200 on every set, right? And that's an improvement. So sometimes it's not about hitting a higher weight for the day. It's about hitting more sets at that new high weight. Um, so I could go a million ways in this. My focus for you is how are you progressing? So even if you're like, I did the same weight, however, it, I moved faster, um, I dropped lower, I had more range of motion, I added a pause, um, I felt better, it was cleaner, I had more tension, I had more mind-muscle connection. Those are all forms of progression. So in many ways, I'm like, hey, you don't need to add weight because you just crushed that. Like you did way better this week. That's a positive. So it kind of depends. You had another question. Could you respond to Stacy Stim's TED Talk about female physiology as it relates to nutrition exercise? So Stacy Stim, Stim did a, a TED Talk basically breaking down why she thinks that uh, female physiology is different than men. And if we look at research, it's almost all done on men. And then we just apply that knowledge to women assuming that it's going to work the same. And she's arguing that there needs to be more research on women because women physiologically are different than men. And all the studies done in nutritional science on men don't always apply to women. And I would 100% agree with everything she said. Honestly, it's a really good TED Talk. Um, it's very brief. It's a short TED Talk. But I agree with her. And I think that um, I think it does need to be different. I think that there, she's going to struggle to change the whole industry right away. But I think eventually I think she will have uh, influence. And I hope that she does because I do think it would be important to have more. Like they did a training study uh, for volume on women. And the results were different than I would expect. And it's because we base all of our volume uh, information on men, right? So, um, I think she's right. That's the only thing I'm really going to say, um, as far as responding to her, because I'm the couple reasons. Number one, we're trying to get her on the podcast. So after, uh, so thank you, Jacqueline, actually you commented. And then I read the comment and I was like, well, let me go see who this is. And I didn't, I haven't watched it until then. So I watched it, liked what she was saying. I'm like, I'm going to reach out to this girl. So Tori's getting in touch with her, hopefully to get her on the podcast. So we'll dive deeper into her philosophies and her books and stuff like that. Um, once I get her on, uh, but the only thing I will say in response to her is I agree. I think there needs to be more research on women. And I do think that it's obvious women physiology is much different than male physiology from a hormonal level, which is going to influence metabolism, muscle mass, performance, everything. So I do think we need to handle it differently. And I do see many differences inside of the nutrition I work with my females as men. Now, it's, it's again one of those things that's like uh, methods are many, principles are few. Uh, methods often change, principles never do. So what I mean by that is calories in versus calories out is a principle. That shit's not going to change. I don't care if you're male, female, or alien. It's not changing. Um, I guess I shouldn't use alien because I don't know. But methods do. So how we go about those calories, how they adhere to those calories, behavior change, diet break, frequency, refeeds, uh, the way we structure not only the ratio of calories, but how we adjust those macros and calories as we go, so on and so forth. Things just change. Men are women, different than women, and it is what it is. So I agree with her 100%. All right. We got Rihanna. Rihanna Healy. Tidying up cellulite around glutes and upper hamstrings for competitors. Nutrition slash training protocol tips. This is just one of those things. It's patience, honestly. it's it's. I understand it's frustrating for a lot of people, but we have to remember that cellulite is potentially has some genetic variants in there so you can't change genetics so some for some people not all of it's ever going to go away um blood flow is a big thing so 
number one, training more. The more you train, the better uh, blood flow, cardiovascular and uh, circulatory system you have. So you have better circulation through your body. That's going to improve it. Um, training those areas, like you can't target stubborn body fat, but training those areas is going to bring more blood flow to those areas, increasing circulation and possibly helping that cellulite a little bit more. Um, balanced diet. So like micronutrients are pretty important here. I do believe there's merit to like adding things that are going to help with skin and joints and nutrients and uh, the non-macro related things. So uh, reducing stress is another one of those, but like getting high abundance of different micronutrients and quality proteins for quality collagen and fish oil um, and a huge variety of nutrients in your food. So different colors, dark greens, garlic, ginger, like getting as many nutrients as you can. Like there's no science to prove that eating, having more fish oil improves cellulite or improving your consumption of ginger is going to reduce inflammation in here. And, but I do believe based on what we know and just some anecdote, vary your diet, get abundance of micronutrients, really focus on that whole food diet, lots of produce, lots of colors, lots of dark greens, lots of things like that, low inflammatory foods. I think it's going to help quite a bit. So really like what you have to do is, is manage stress so that your, your health improves, get an abundance of micronutrients. So you have a balanced diet and you're getting the nutrients needed to produce better collagen, skin, hair, nails, all those things like the, the micronutrient focused diet, um, train, hard so you have better circulation um, and lower inflammation and then train those areas so you have more circulation to the areas but there's no like one thing like I'm not going to tell you rub coconut oil on it because that's going to improve it right there's there's really no one thing that's going to better cellulite period I mean lose weight is another one obviously like if you need to lose weight you need to lose weight and that'll help too because the leaner you are the less likely you are to have cellulite but you can get lean and, and genetically just have some cellulite and it is what it is Anonymous, wish to be disclosed, have 50 pounds to lose. I've dedicated three plus months to dieting with refeeds. Stuck to my, I'm stuck at current weight. I hit a plateau. Time to maintain. What should I do? Um, if you have 50 pounds to lose, I probably wouldn't say it's time to maintain. Oftentimes, and this is all dependent. Like if you have 50 pounds to lose, but you already lost 100, I'd say it might be a good time to maintain because you might need a couple months of maintenance to get out of a diet just to mentally clear your head and physiologically just improve your health and then go back to it. Um, it all depends on how aggressive the diet was, but you've said I've dedicated three plus months. So let's just go off like three plus being like three or four months. Um, because usually if you, if it was four plus or five plus, you would say that. So I'm, I'm guessing you're in between that three to four month mark by the time I'm answering this question. Um, if you have 50 pounds to lose, I'm guessing you haven't lost hundred pounds, right? So I'd probably say three months isn't scary. That's not a crazy amount. And because you have a lot of a good amount of weight to lose, I probably wouldn't worry about going into a maintenance phase, um, possibly just a quick diet break. So spending one to two weeks at maintenance and then jumping right back into it. I think that's all you'll need. And it's mainly psychological, um, because hormones are also run through from body fat. So the only time I really see it necessary to be like, fuck, you've been dieting for three months. Let's get you out, get you in a diet break is if adherence is really poor, um, psych psychologically. So mentally they're just emotionally stressed from the diet. Um, or they only have less than 10 pounds to lose. In that case, you're getting lean enough to the point where it's like, okay, we can't diet super hard. Um, but for you, I'd probably say take a one to two week diet break. And then I would probably try flipping your macros completely around. I see a lot of people that get stuck at a weight loss and they've been following a similar macro ratio, like breakdown of food composition or calorie composition. And they're just kind of linearly dropping calories, which works. It makes sense, right? So like 
as the diet goes, you kind of cut more calories and you kind of chip it away until you're getting lower and lower calories so that you can essentially lose more weight, right? You're dropping your calories as you go, adding cardio, so on and so forth. But oftentimes I see success with people when I go, okay, I get that, but we're going to flip it on its head. So if you're following a macro ratio, let's say of 40 carb, 40 protein, 20 fat, let's flip it and go 40 protein, 40 fat, 20 carb. Like I don't use ratios, but that's just an example, like literally completely flipping. So keeping calories the same so you don't have to drop more calories, but switching your protein and carbs. I've seen success with people doing that. Um, I've also seen success with people going more strict with like rigid foods, honestly. like, uh, and, and that's probably a result of when you are less flexible with your diet, especially if you're being overly flexible. Macros tend to be a little bit more accurate, so you're more likely to be truly hitting the macros you're setting out to hit digestion probably improves, health probably improves. Um, now, if you're overly unflexible, health actually declines because you don't get as much variety or enjoyment. But there's a few things. I, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, though, is taking a short diet break and then flipping macros around. That way, we're not eating the same ratio. But in general, to be honest with you, like just based on this, I don't have enough information. Inside of our coaching, if I had this person asked me this question on the phone while I'm like quizzing them before getting started, I'd probably ask them 10 more questions. And I do inside the questionnaire, it's like 30 questions long. So we go way more in depth and then it gives me more information. And then I could say like, Hey, then I can give them more of a black and white answer of like, this is exactly what I do. Amantha, Amantha, yo, Amantha, yo, I almost want to say Amantha, yo, hey, yo, Biggest frustrations you experience as a coach and what you wish your clients knew. This was a good one. This was off my story. It took me two days to finally answer it because I just couldn't think of a serious frustration. I know that sounds cliche. Like, I'm never frustrated. I love my job. Um, I love Like, it's not even a job. It's a career. It's a passion. It's, it's a lifestyle. But I think, like, for me, like, I really couldn't pinpoint one frustration. You know, like, I think the biggest frustration would be um, n- clients not opening up to me. Um, or, or like, and I wish what they knew is like, I wish they knew like just how much I actually fucking care, like how much this stuff means to me, how much their results mean to me. And like how much it breaks my heart. If I can't break somebody through a plateau, like that shit eats me alive. And there's some coaches that I mentor and people that I talk to, like, they know how it feels like it it wrecks you. Like if, if we can't figure it out and sometimes like people have stubborn bodies, um, and it takes time, like that shit keeps me up at night. So I wish they knew how much I cared because then I think it would allow some of those people to open up because there's some people who aren't completely honest or truthful with what is going on. They don't fill me in on everything they're doing. They don't tell me all the things going on in their life. They don't explain to me their stressors. They don't explain to me when they don't hit their diet. Like I, That's the only frustration I would have is like somebody not opening up to me and it, it'd be more of a frustration of like what can I do to gain their trust. Like what can, what am I not doing enough of so that they would understand that they can trust me. They can tell me anything. I'm not, I don't care if they screw up. Like everybody screws up. There is no judgment, but I need to know what's going on so that I can fix it. I can help them. Um, I would say that's the biggest frustration. And that kind of like, I, I think there's always frustrations as a coach or a business owner on yourself that you may not need to inflict on yourself. Um, because most frustrations, you most things you blame on yourself, right? Most things you think these are my fault. These things, like I'm doing these things, I'm in control of these things. In reality, that's not true always. But you kind of point the finger at yourself. Um, not necessarily a good thing, but um, sometimes extreme ownership is a good thing. So um, I don't have any one specific frustration uh, besides just like if anybody doesn't open up to me fully, like I just get frustrated in the sense of like I wish they would. And what I want them to know is that they can. 
Kel Jerk. What's your recommended strength program style for muscle toning? So I think this is a really good question because there's a lot of people who, who refer to this like toning thing. Like you can't really tone a muscle. Um, you can build a muscle or you can break down a muscle, break down muscle tissue, essentially break down the proteins inside muscle tissue. But like I think this is good because I get so many. I'm actually making a post about this tonight. Um, well, this is like a week from when – a week ago when you heard this. I'm recording this on the 17th of October, but like, so if you're listening to this, go check out my Instagram. There's a picture of me like posing, uh, like doing a physique pose and I talk about this, but we get a lot of applications, uh, mainly from women, but I get this from men too. And there's a drop down menu when you apply for coaching and it says like, what is your goal? Fat loss, muscle gain or performance, I think, or health and longevity or something like that or all of them. And they'll say muscle gain is the growth. So they, they hit the scroll down button, they click muscle growth. And then in their description of like, why is this your goal or just explain your goal to me, they explain how they want to lose weight. And those are two contrary things. And this is where like I think people get confused. There is no muscle toning. Muscle toning is one of two things. Either A, we're in this place where we lost quote unquote weight, but we still see body fat. So now we get confused. Do I lose weight? Do I build muscle? Do I need to cut? Do I recon? What, what, what goes on here? How do I tone this weight? How do I tone this muscle? You don't tone anything. Usually if you get to that point where – you're confused because you lost the weight, but you still have body fat. It's because you didn't build muscle. So now you actually have to spend time at maintenance calories or slightly above focusing on building muscle, bodybuild. And women, you need to bodybuild. You need to do this because you're not going to get jacked and look like the Hulk. It's impossible. But what you will do is you will start putting on muscle tissue and your body will look more toned. I promise you. I know the tone look you're looking for. You're looking for density. You're looking for hard, firm muscles. You're looking for a hard body. You're looking for an athletic look. Um, though that requires building muscle. So building muscle is a good thing, but I think gaining and bulking put these bad stereotypes on women building muscle. Um, and then there's the other side of this where, um, you want to lose weight because you want to look firm. And so you're like, I need to tone. And And again, there it's not toning. It's, Hey, we need to have a diet and a training system that supports maintaining muscle mass and you need to burn fat. You just need to lose weight. Not even lose weight. You need to lose body fat and maintain muscle. So really like there's there's three avenues. Like there's either A, you just have a lot of weight to lose. B, you need to purely lose fat while maintaining muscle and you need to focus on that and training to maintain muscle as well. Or C, you've lost the weight. Now you need to focus on rebuilding your metabolism so you can maintain your, your caloric intake at a higher point while trying to build muscle because you've lost the quote unquote weight, but you're still not happy because you have body fat on your body, which I've been in those exact same shoes. When I first went through my first transformation, I thought it was weight. I was like, I don't care about building muscle. I just want to lose weight. I'm tired of this gut. I'm tired of feeling like I'm overweight. I'm tired of feeling fat. So I lost weight. I did high intensity circuits and cardio and boot camps and did low carb. And I did all these things I could lost 50 pounds. And I looked in the mirror. I was like, I'm skinny fat now. Why don't I look like the dude on men's health magazine? This is weird. Why? Because I wasn't building muscle during that process. I wasn't maintaining muscle. I was purely focused on losing weight instead of losing fat. And that's a huge insight for people. You have to lose fat, not weight. Then I spent time building muscle. I put myself to maintenance or site surplus and I spent over a year just trying to get bigger. And I promise, like people who listen to this podcast, you probably know what I look like. I'm not huge. So if you're worried about getting bulky, look at me and understand I've been trying to get quote unquote bulky for eight years now. It's not working that fast, not working that well. So you probably will not have a problem spending some time building muscle. 
But um, that so like back to your actual question, what's my recommended strength training program style for muscle toning? My strength training style and, and recommendation is going to be the same, whether your goal is needs to be building muscle, needs to be losing fat, or needs to be just losing overall weight. And it's going to be a strength program geared towards building muscle. So even if you're trying to lose weight and maintain muscle or lose fat and maintain muscle, you still want to train to act as if you're building muscle. I'm going to choose either an upper lower split or a full body program depending on A, how many days a week you can train and B, your preference. So if you enjoy four days a week, I'll give you – or if you can train four days a week, I'm going to go with four days a week if you can. Um, some people have trained five. And I'm going to say, hey, what do you prefer? Do you like full body or do you like splitting it up? I like splitting it up. Okay, we'll go with that. I like full body. Okay, we'll go with that. That's all about adherence. Then I'll tweak volume, intensity, and frequency to make sure that's set in the right place to give you results. Now – as far as how we're doing it, we're mainly using functional movement patterns, so mainly using things like dumbbells and barbells and kettlebells, bands, bars, body weight for the simple stuff, single leg, squat, bench, deadlift, press, overhead press, carries, rows, things like that. And then we're adding a little bit of isolation work to complement the, the weak parts of the places that you want to enhance a little bit more. So maybe we're doing hip abductions on a machine. Maybe we're doing flies. Maybe we're doing reverse flies. Maybe we're doing lateral raises. Maybe we're doing curls. Things that are going to enhance the muscle size that aren't big motor units, uh, movements, like not big compound lifts. Um, but then this ends up looking like a functional pat movement pattern, functional movement strength training program that allows you to do a split that you love and adhere to and have enthusiasm with. It challenges you in multiple rep ranges. So we're doing some lower rep, like three to six. We're doing some moderate rep at like seven to 10. Then we're doing some high rep at like 12 to 20, all within one session. We're using mainly fundamental movement patterns that you can progress through movement capacity, loading patterns, or weight. And then we're doing a very small amount of isolation work that is mainly using bands, cables, and machines to enhance the growth of the muscle. Like that's probably what I'm going to recommend as a whole. Now, if you wanted me to recommend an exact training program, I would just join the elite because we have too many. Like, I mean, out of my eBooks, probably FIT or functional muscle. I mean, those are the two top ones because it's a full body and a, a split. But join the elite. If you need programming advice, programming guidance, you need assessment advice, you need me to look at your form, you want the best training programs you can get, go to the elite. That's the best place to do it. Kim Yoder McDermott. Should you pull back on calories during a deload week? I'm currently eating at maintenance. So we actually just talked kind of about this, but in the opposite, like diet break. Um, no, I don't think so. Like the whole purpose of a deload week is to recover fully. So you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you drop calories too. So if I drop volume or and or intensity in order to enhance or, or to implement a deload week to speed up recovery, but then I simultaneously drop calories, which is going to further harm recovery, I'm kind of, it's a, it's a negative double-edged sword. So now I'm not only reducing volume, I'm dropping calories. So think about it, like dropping calories makes recovery harder. So if anything, we want to increase recovery during that week. You don't want to lower training to increase recovery, but then drop calories, making it harder. So keep calories where they're at, just deload. There's not going to be any negative. I think also, I think there's, there's a a negative association with calories from a psychological standpoint when you start doing things like this. Like, oh, I didn't earn these calories. I have to drop them. Like, no, you, you did. You've been earning them for weeks on this hard training program. So deload your training, drop your intensity and or volume, let yourself recover and give yourself the same amount of calories so that you continue to recover well, 100%. Samantha Cunningham 
Zawilinski. Zawilinski. It's a hard one. When you when starting to count macros using MyFitnessPal, my goal was set at fourteen hundred based on the app. I wouldn't follow the app's recommendations. Uh, that's me talking, not her. Re- recently, I did a personal macro consult, and I was recommended to go to sixteen forty seven. I'm new to the idea of phases such as cut, deficit, maintenance. Should I be increasing my macros based on the console or stick to the lower number? How do I determine what phase, cut, deficit, maintenance, etc. I should be in? Goal is to build muscle to drop inches and fat. So this goes back to the conversation I had. So I don't even need to fully answer this because I just talked about this. Your your goals are a little contradictory, which I understand. Um, so a few things. Number one, go to the 1647. Um, I say that lightly because I don't know how much you weigh. You didn't give me much information here. Um, I don't know what you weigh. I don't know what your training looks like. I don't know what your history looks like besides that you're new to macros, but have you been eating clean? Have you been following a intuitive Atkins diet or a paleo diet? Do you train? So on and so forth. So I can't really say too much. However, most scenarios, I would say the app is probably wrong. And if you got the consult from a highly qualified person, which I hope you did, if they're charging you for a consult, they should be. Um, I'm probably going to go with their recommendation. Um, like the thing is you said goal is to build muscle to drop inches and fat. So if your goal is to build muscle, you're not going to drop inches and gain fat. You're going to build muscle and increase inches in certain places. So your goal is recomposition. Your goal is essentially what you need to focus on this, these phases, these periodizations. So if I took you on, I would say like, Hey, we have to assess your body and your goals. What's the number one priority? If the number one priority is to lose weight. We have to start there. We're not trying to build muscle. We're trying to maintain the muscle you have, probably improve strength while dropping inches, dropping fat. And then once we get to a comfortable physique where you, you're still healthy, but you look better, you feel better, you're leaner, your body fat is lower, then we can shift to a maintenance phase, try to kind of master your caloric maintenance while hopefully improving strength and muscle a little bit more, and then eventually go into a dedicated lean gain phase, which is where we're either A, going to stay at maintenance and just optimize other things, which I touched on earlier, or we're going to increase you into a small surplus so we can actually gain some size on certain places like your glutes, your legs, your back, your arms, so on and so forth, wherever you want to build muscle. But I personally believe because you're new to this whole thing, because uh, the different caloric amounts kind of confuse you, you're not familiar with periodization, cut it, cutting uh, deficit and maintenance, like how to shift through these, when you should focus on what, I really do think you should have a coach. I think everybody should have a coach at least once because if it's a good coach, it's going to teach you the process. It's going to teach you how to understand these things so that you can apply it for the rest of your life. Most likely where I would take you is probably maintenance. I would probably, because you're new to this and because that probably tells me that you're new to training as well and your goal overall long-term is to build muscle and drop inches fat, which is probably means you're after that quote unquote tone look, you want to look dense and athletic and lean. I'm probably going to say like, Hey, let's find your maintenance. Let's keep you there. Kind of prime you build your metabolism, make you feel really good, sleep well, have good energy, train really hard, try to squeeze out as much of a recomposition. So dropping fat and building muscle as we can, if you're new, it is possible while at maintenance. And then once we successfully maintain for a while, which could lead to weight loss, could lead to weight maintenance, could lead to fat loss, could lead to re- recomposition, no matter what, it's going to teach us about your body and it's going to get you consistent following the right systems. Once we do that and we prime you, then we can reassess and say, hey, the best thing to do right now is cut. Let's go into a deficit. Or, hey, you're already lean. Like You don't need to lose weight. You need to build muscle. So let's actually target muscle growth and try to maintain 
where your body fat is right now because if we build muscle from where you're at right now, you will look leaner. You will look as if, and I think that's a, a misconception for a lot of people. Some people, most people will get to a lean point and if they just focused on building muscle, you would look leaner even if you added weight because your body would look more muscular and that provides a leaner look. can't tell you how many people look at me when I do like photo shoots or I get cut for when I got cut for stage or anything. They're like, man, you got jacked. You got huge. I'm like, no, I'm way smaller. I lost weight, but I'm leaner, right? And I had muscle. Now, when I was, when I lost 50 pounds at the beginning, I'm trying to think of what weight I was back then. And I spent time building muscle. I looked leaner, but I added a lot of weight. I, I should, I added like 15 pounds, but I looked leaner because I had more muscle. I had more definition. So it kind of works in both ways. It depends on which end of the spectrum you're at. So it's really hard for me to say, but I would honestly go further than a consult. I don't think, I, this is why I typically don't even offer consults because I think that you need coaching. Like I would rather, I, I don't want to spend an hour telling you what in theory I would do and what possibly could happen. I'm like, Hey, spend this money on coaching with me or with somebody else. Where I can give you a starting plan, yes, but then I can adjust it and manipulate it and help you stay accountable of it and teach you what's going on and why it's going on for the next, you know, three to six months at least to teach you the process. All right, guys, that is the last question for today. Um, thank you for everybody. These are actually carryovers from last week's episode. I had so many questions. So thank you so much for participating in the podcast, guys. I can't tell you how much I love you, how much I appreciate you, how thankful I am for you guys listening to the show. Um, one last time, if you want to leave me a five-star rating review, I'd be very grateful. Head over to Instagram, post a screenshot so I can share it on mine. And last but not least, join the damn Facebook group because I want to see you in there. I want you to ask me more questions and I want you in on the community. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.